Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Whoa. This is the Horticulture Hangover Show. Um, gardening show. I'm Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. Yes, and I'm Leah Churner with Delta Dawn Gardens, and we are here to take your calls about gardening. Yeah. What's the number, Colleen? 512-836-0590 or toll-free 877-590-5525. That's right. Yeah. How's it going? Happy Saturday. Pretty good. I just got back from the Texas Tree Conference in Waco the, from the Texas chapter of the International Society of Arboriculture. With all the that? arborists. It was really fun. All the arborists are a really good time. <laughs> They're really fun. Cool. <laughs> so really nice people and uh, learned a lot of interesting things. Any big tree takeaways? Um. Wood chips, wood chips, wood chips mm-hmm. are the best thing for trees, and everybody's talking about wood chips. Mulching with wood chips? Yeah. Yeah, making sure that you've got, that you're using wood chips for mulch. Yeah. And um, talking a little bit about, like, inoculants in the soil. I saw a presenter uh, talking about soil microbes and and another presenter talking about how to grow trees in urban soils that have been crushed, compressed, and ruined by heavy equipment and um, scraped away, you know, just abused urban soil and soil in new subdivisions and stuff like that and how bad that soil is to grow plants in at all. And they did a bunch of experiments to figure out, like, which soil treatment was the best and basically, like, Adding some compost and some wood chips was the best thing compared to fertilizer, compared to um, compost tea, compared to soil inoculants, like the commercial inoculants that you can buy and stuff like that. Like um, compost and wood chips was by far the most effective. Like compost was like way more effective and then wood chips was like right below compost. Cool. So the combination of wood chips and compost was a good takeaway from that that talk. Good old fashioned compost and wood chips. Yeah, I thought of you yesterday because I mm. bought some leaf mold compost. Oh yeah? I was mm-hmm. planting something and I was like, I'm just gonna give a healthy, healthy layer of this on yeah. top of the plant. Awesome. Yeah. That's really good. I'm so glad that we have that available now mm-hmm. to us because that's sort of new for this area. Yeah. Leaf mold compost. Compost yeah. made out of leaves. Yeah. Really good stuff. Well, I have I have an announcement to make. Oh, good. Uh, for my friend Angel, um, Austin Organic Gardeners is having a plant sale next week at Zulkar Botanical Garden. Yeah. You can uh, check it out. It'll be September 30th, next Saturday, between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. You can pre-order transplants online and pick them up and uh, shop at the garden. They're going to have an organic marketplace 
with 20 plus vendors, including musicians, local businesses, and nonprofits. Wow. So that is the Austin Organic Gardeners plant sale. Great. At Zilker Botanical Garden on the 30th. Very next good. Saturday. Awesome. So you can get some cool plants. And I'm going to check out what they have. Uh, what they have. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you know what plants they have yet. I'll look into I know it. They're, oh, yeah. I probably okay. will do some. Sounds like um, vegetables and things might be okay. on the list, but I'm wondering if they have perennials as well. Yeah. Me too. I know their spring sale is usually veggie vegetables and they have like hard to find varieties. Um, but I've never done the fall sales. So I don't know. But yeah, yeah, good. That's so great to hear. That's like one of the longest running garden clubs in Austin, the Organic Gardening Club. It's really cool. Austin Organic Gardeners. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're big supporters of the seed libraries too. Oh, awesome. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. Neat. Thank you for that announcement. Are you... It's really good. Are you thinking about doing any vegetable gardening this winter? Um... Yes, I would like to, but I feel a little torn about it because my vegetable beds kind of fell apart, literally, because um, they were hugel cultures. Mm-hmm. And so the logs at the bottom of the hugel culture are decomposing, so the whole thing started collapsing, which I expected. Um, so I need to kind of rebuild them to make it function properly. But... um have I'm still there's so much else to do in my yard yeah that I'm kind of like rebuilding the hugel cultures is like a little bit further down on the list of things that I need to do yeah so, I don't know I need to put my rain collection system back together and you've also got kind of a lot going on in your life <laughs> yeah there's a I lot know. Of stuff very busy. yeah um yeah. but you know in the spring when you and I went to the plant swap at Tillery Street and one of our listeners, we, we met one of our listeners there and he gave us, he, he gave me a uh, perennial arugula oh. plant. So I'm looking forward to that because I've been, I had it all summer and it kind of goes dormant in the summer. So it looks a little sad right now, but I think. Um, it's going to start perking up here in the fall, and I'll be harvesting that arugula this winter. Yum. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping that I can, I'll get some seeds from it so I can make a bigger patch. Cool. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's one thing I can do in one little spot in the perennial area. Oh, and all of my perennial onions are starting to come back. Oh, awesome. Too. So that's really fun, my onion collection that I'm weirdly passionate about <laughs> so so I have I still have some edible stuff that I enjoy I mean, but the perennial vegetables, are, vegetables are a darn good bet yeah yeah it's not it's a different vibe like mm-hmm. it's it's a better fit for me because I can hop out into the yard and just cut some green onions you know or grab some scallions and herbs and stuff like that um it's not like the perennial vegetables aren't, it's not the same as like harvesting like tons and tons of tomatoes so you can make tomato sauce and right. stuff like that. You know, it's more like 
embellishing my day-to-day dishes yeah with herbs and- they might not be the star of the show no, but they're a really good fit. I think they're a really good value because uh-huh. like the herbs and stuff are so expensive at the store. Yeah. And you can't use that much, at least at our house. Like you buy a clump of herbs and it's like half of it goes bad, you know? Right. So having those kinds of plants, perennial herbs and like I said, like the multiplying onions and this arugula and stuff like that these more perennial plants is a better fit for like the way that we cook at our house yeah you know so but i would like to get back to traditional vegetables sometime maybe just a little one little maybe just a little bit of a garden i know yeah yeah i have one little spot that's okay but i'd like to get my big vegetable beds back in order so we'll see if it happens maybe it'll happen by springtime but yeah yeah oh, it's time to go to a break time for a break we'll see you in a minute good morning everyone this is the horticulture hangover show good morning uh, yeah i'm colleen dieter with atxgardens.com and that's my friend sitting across from me leah i'm leah churner and uh i am with delta dawn gardens that is my company okay so you can call or text us with gardening questions the number is 512-836-0590 or toll free 877-590-5525. So call us or text us with your questions. And we got a text. Oh, good. And it says, good morning, loving the shows. I have a few questions about young elm trees and containers. Mm. These are ready to be transplanted. Do I need to worry about the roots being wound up in a ball when I transplant it? Are the roots mm-hmm. near the crown that may potentially choke? Are the will the roots will the roots near the crown potentially choke the tree in the future as well? Mm-hmm. I hope this picture makes it across. As you can see, the containers are cl- slowly being chewed up by the culprit in the pick, which is a cute little pup. Oh no! Um, I'm going to open this image a little bigger so I can see it. Yeah, it looks like they are. Cedar elms that um, have been potted up for transplanting. Okay. And um, they look pretty good to me. Yeah. Um, And I think that when you are transplanting them, it would be a good idea to kind of loosen up the root ball just a little bit. What do you think, Colleen? Yeah. um, Definitely want the root ball to be loosened and not like a big knot. And... What you need to do sometimes is straighten the roots out. Um, and uh, some some folks, when they plant trees, go so far as to rinse all of the soil off of the roots so that they can see all the roots at transplanting time and make sure that there aren't any roots circling the trunk mm-hmm. like and growing in a circle at all. And if there are and you can't straighten them at planting time, 
then you can um, cut them off. Uh, because, yeah, because every year as the tree grows in diameter in the trunk, the roots also grow in diameter. And if there's a root kind of wrapped around, around like the perimeter of the pot or up close to the trunk, then the root will strangle the trunk and that will kill the tree. So, yeah, whenever you're planting trees in containers, it's really important to take a look at the root ball and make sure that nobody's wrapping around in a circle, especially for really long-lived trees like elms, elms and oaks, you know, Mm -hmm. like the really big trees where later those roots will be a problem. And I can't tell, it's hard to tell like how root-bound or pot-bound these these little trees are, but... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if I take a plant out of the pot and it's got, you know, a really, um, it's got a mass of roots that are circling mm-hmm. the pot. Sometimes I'll just take my pruners and just make some cuts, yeah, some vertical cuts to um, allow those to be able to fan out rather than to keep growing in a circular direction. And That's a great idea. Actually, hurt them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a it's a chronic problem with trees that come in containers, containers you know it's really really common for us to have that and yeah just cutting the roots like you said is a great idea too mm-hmm. and if you had like say you were planting a tree and you had a root that was kind of really close to the trunk and it was kind of looked like it was gonna potentially eventually choke the tree yeah it would be okay to cut it like is there yeah. a certain size where you'd be like Ugh, i don't know No, it's more like the percentage of Mm. root ball, you know, like you don't want to cut more than like one third of the roots at a time if you if you can help it. Um, But and loosening up the root ball is the very minimum thing that you can do, like tickle the roots, we say. Yeah. Um, But. Yeah, and so in terms of, like, diameter of the root that you cut or something like that, um, if you're dealing with, like, really small trees, they'll be fine no matter, you know what I mean? But even with really big trees, uh, we'll still cut girdling roots because the alternative is death. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not a great situation, but... Planting little trees is better because they're more resilient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bought a little tree yesterday. Ooh, what'd you get? I bought a Carolina buckthorn. And I was excited because I've never Ooh. planted one. And so I wanted to ask about your experience with Carolina buckthorn. Well, I don't have very much experience with them because, oh, really? yeah, because they're kind of rare. They're unusual around here. I know. I thought so too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you found one. That's really neat. Um, Do you I see have, them around? Ever? Well, um, actually, one of our listeners has one who hired me to come to his house to do a consultation uh, the week before last. And as soon as I drove up, it's in his front yard and it's so beautiful. Um, and I noticed it right away. And uh, he said he pl- he planted it and it's an understory tree. He has it growing underneath um, two live oaks and it's just gorgeous, uh, shiny leaves and red berries. And I harvested some of the berries. He let me take some of the berries for the seed to tree pipeline program, uh, for tree folks. So tree folks will be planting those berries. 
But um, cool. yeah, it was really neat. So because they because they are hard to find, and my friend Marcus has some over on Westlake. Oh, he has a nice stand of them. Um, and they're like his. I haven't seen them in a long time. Like this was like maybe ten years ago when I saw them, but they were kind of growing like in a thicket. Like lots of shoots mm-hmm. coming up from the ground, like lots of trunks. So um, that's pretty much like I have not encountered them very many times, you know, but because they're they're hard to find around yeah, here. Yeah, I don't remember seeing them in a nursery before. Yeah, I know. Do you have have you seen any out in the field? No. Okay. I wouldn't know them. I saw one one time in Lakeway, like growing out of the side of a cliff Mm. so that where the deer couldn't get it. So because they are, I think one of the reasons they're so rare is because the deer will eat them when they're saplings. Oh, yeah. So um, I don't know how Marcus, how my friend protected them from the deer or if they were just big already when he got there or whatever. I'm not sure. But they are susceptible to deer brows. So... I think that's part of the reason why they're so rare. And um, they're just really nice, pretty trees. Because they have a bigger leaf, you know? And, like, I feel like we're missing Mm. plants in our landscapes with big, broad leaves. Right. Yeah, that aren't, like, big shade trees. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, we got another question. Okay. Someone said, speaking of rare trees... Mm. I've been searching for a madrone tree. Mm, mm-hmm. Let me see if I can pull this up. Would either of you know a place where I could get a madrone? Says Wayne. Well, Wayne, the madrones are really hard to find mm-hmm. in nurseries. I bought one probably eight or nine years ago at the Natural Gardener, mm-hmm. and I don't know where they got it. Um, but it's still. It's still alive and kicking. It's looking good. And it came in one of those biodegradable pots because they have such sensitive roots that you just put the pot in there. Um, And one thing I did when I planted it was I planted it underneath um, cedars, uh, Mm -hmm. ash junipers, Mm -hmm. because that's where it really likes to live, and even mulched it and even put kind of some of that cedar duff Mm -hmm. into the into the planting hole and really mulched it well with that because there's some kind of, you know, connection between those two plants. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's, I don't know that it's been actually proven, but um, there might be some kind of fungal partner that the ash juniper and the um, madrone have in common. Yeah, we were talking about that at the Texas Tree Conference. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. About inoculating the planting media with the cedar duff. And the soil from the mother trees. Were they talking about madrones? Mm -hmm. Yeah, with Texas madrones. Ooh, let's talk about madrones when we come back. All right, y'all. We're going to the news. Thanks. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. This is the Horticulture Hangover. Yeah. And I'm Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. Yeah, and I'm Leah Cherner owner of Delta Dawn Gardens, deltadawngardens.com. And uh, we were just continuing our conversation about madrones, but should we give that number again? Yes. Call us or text us with your gardening questions. 
836-0590 or 877-590-5525. Yeah. So madrones. Yeah. Tell me more about the madrone you planted. Oh, um, yeah. So I planted it, bought it at the natural gardener. Wish I knew who grow it, grew it. And Is that... It, you planted it like in bee cave, in bee right? Cave, so yes. yeah, really thin hill country soil. Very, very, very thin soil. There is already a madrone on that property that was planted oh. twenty years ago, um, or maybe thirty years ago at this point. Um, and uh, so I also took a little bit of duff from underneath that madrone and what gave it you? to the little baby madrone. Oh, what do you mean by duff? I mean the uh, the, the little. Needles, they're not actually needles, but the little leaves that fall off of the ash juniper trees and then kind of compose into a a mulch on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So they say nothing grows under ash junipers, but lots of things do. Lots of things do, especially madrones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that the madrones are the mother trees for the the nurse trees, they for say. The cedar Cedars are their nurse trees for the madrones. Oh, sorry. Right? Yes. You got it. Cedars are the nurse trees for the madrones. Yeah. We did. One thing I want to say is that uh, the madrone is caged, the mm-hmm. little one. Um, so it has just like a, a round little cage around it, and it has pretty much its whole life. So definitely keep so it from deer browse. From the deer. Okay. That's cool. Well, we have a phone call from Dean awesome. in Pflugerville. Dean, you're on the air. Hello, how are you this morning? Good, how are you doing? Good. Um, I've got uh, some flowers in my front yard that have these little white bugs that fly around. There's a whole bunch of them. I've been spraying it with the water and soap, and it seems to thin them out, but not getting rid of them. And then I've got, on a different flower, I have little black bugs that don't seem to move. Okay. Um, but they'll destroy the buds on the flower. Okay. And Do you know? If you have something other than just soap and water, that might get rid of them. Yeah. Like white fly and scale, Colleen? Sounds like white fly and, yeah, either scale or aphids. Mm. And, um, uh, Dean, do you know what kinds of flowers they are? Yeah, the, the, the little white flies. Uh, hang around the hardy hibiscus okay. and the little black ones are on a little break hibiscus, hibiscus trees okay okay are they in pots or are they in the ground they're in the ground okay okay um it's pretty common for those kinds of tropical plants to get white fly and scale uh problems and um one thing that I found works well sometimes for the white flies is uh, drenching the soil with liquid humate. So if you can. Liquid what? Humate. H U M A T E. Yeah, thanks. H U M A T E. Yeah. Liquid humate can help with the white fly problems, drenching. I don't know why. I got that tip from Howard Garrett in one of his books and it oh. worked. Yeah, it worked. 
One thing I might say also is make sure you're watering the soil and not spraying, you know, when you're watering. Maybe they get watered by a sprinkler or something, but just try to get keep the water from the irrigation or, or the hand watering more off of the leaves and more onto the ground. Mm-hmm. Because I think white flies can be caused sometimes by an excess, like not enough airflow. What do you think? Yeah, scale too. When the leaves are getting wet regularly, um, that can cause these kinds of problems. So if it's possible to keep them from getting wet. I have a soaker hose on the hardy hibiscus so that it stays on the ground. Okay. But the other does get sprayed, uh, the leaves. Okay. So I'll try to keep it on the ground. And then for the scale, um, I think you may have better luck with uh, horticultural oil spray rather than the soap. As the soap... Uh, usually isn't strong enough to kill scale. So um, the oil, you may have better luck with the oil. Horticultural oil or neem oil, yeah, would work. And I can get both of these in the gardening store. Yes. Yeah, go to one of the local gardening centers because they'll have a better selection of that kind of stuff. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Dean. Good luck. I hope you enjoy your hibiscus. They've been pretty. I just, it seems like it's starting to destroy them. So yeah. Before it gets bad. Yeah. Good idea. All right. Thanks for your call, Dean. Thanks. Yeah. Um, it's been hard on those, uh, on the, all the plants, really. But, you know, I, I, I can imagine like a, an Althea or a Rose of Sharon, yeah. you know, looking kind of sad at this point. Yeah. Um, that's the tree hibiscus. Yeah. Um, and so part of it, I think, is just going to be like drought stress and lack of rain and heat stress. Yeah. You know? It's just You're rough. not doing anything wrong. It's just yeah, <laughs> the weather is not it's right not for help. these plants. Yeah, it's just not helping. And the plants are feeling down in the dumps. And when they feel down in the dumps, they get pest and disease problems. Um, I'm real excited. Have you grown any of those hardy hibiscus, Leah? Mm-mm. I'm, I just started experimenting with some of them. And, man, there's some at one house. They're beautiful. They're perennials? Yeah, that's the idea, huh. is that they're, they overwinter. Oh. And they're perennial, and they're doing awesome. And they over they came through this past winter. They were planted, I think they were planted in the fall, and they came through the winter fine. Um, but I had another customer that planted one, and they, um, it was in real hot sun, and it died. But it went in kind of late, so... We have another phone call. Oh, my gosh. Well, I know. let's take it real quick. Okay. We have to go to break at 45. Yeah. Hi, Robert. You're... Hi. I've got a really old, well-established outdoor potted uh, night-blooming cirrus that is still very viable and uh, blooms very well. Um, but it's getting very woody and kind of stressed out, and some of the leaves have some black sort of necrosis kind of going mm. on. And I cleaned it all up, and I just thought maybe it needs food at this point. So do you think maybe John's recipe or something, maybe just some seaweed to give it a boost? That's a really good question. What you, yeah, what do you think, Leah? You know about more about the cirrus than I do, I think. Um, have you – when's the last time you repotted it? 
long time. Yeah, it might be time to give it some new soil. Um, yeah, I've it's noticed so so entangled you can barely get your fingers mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've noticed that mine is a little. It's getting a little woody as well, and I um, I know it's not happy because I haven't given it as much water as I should. Um, but yeah. yeah, I would try repotting it. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think it, some fertilizer would hurt at all. And, okay. um, you know, give it some good potting soil and maybe a little bit bigger of a container or you could root prune it a little bit so that it'll have a giant l- container. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, so maybe you want to kind of prune the roots a little bit just to kind of take off like a third of the bottom of the roots so that oh. it will have some more room in that container. And what do you think the blackening is of very indiscriminate? Of the blades occasionally. Don't like know. Normal, um, normal, uh, normal decay. Yeah. Ages. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but it could just be some kind of um, some kind of cultural thing that would be corrected yeah. by. Uh, well, it's more than ten years old, and it's been living outside quite well. I do bring it in in the winter, but. Yeah, yeah. I would just try repotting it, prune the roots okay, a little bit, cool. and give it some fertilizer. And. All right. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Robert. Okay, we're going to go to the break. Good morning. This is the Horticulture Hangover Show. Hello. I'm Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. And sitting across from me is the mysterious Leah Turner. No, just kidding. Leah Turner with Delta Dawn Gardens. Yeah. Whoa, your microphone's Microphone. moving. Um, Colleen, we have Migrating. a little lightning round of texts. Oh, my We're going to get through at the end of the show here. Okay, let's so do it. We'll start with this one. Okay. I would like to move a small red yucca that I planted five months ago to a different spot. Is this possible without harming the plant? Absolutely. Yes. Easy peasy. Absolutely. Yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah. Just plant it at the same level. Don't plant it too deeply. That's the most important thing. Don't pile up soil around all the stems. Yeah. Make sure it's planted a little at the same level that it's planted at now. Yep. They're very, very happy uh, to be transplanted. Yeah, no problemo. Let's see. We got another question about desert willows. Uh, and someone said, I know nothing about desert willows. What type of sun do they need? How big do they get? Deer resistant. Do they do well in our area? In the dripping springs, yes. Yes, yes, yes. They do very yeah. well. Um, and dripping springs would be a good place for them Absolutely. to grow because they like a thinner soil. Yeah. They do. They, they struggle a little bit more in clay. Yeah. Um, my in-laws have one in, in Dallas, and it, it gets kind of sad when it when they get, you know, a lot of rain. A lot of rain. Heavy clay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they get about, what do you think, 15 feet tall usually? Yeah. There's kind of a smaller, open, airy tree. Yeah, they're not dense at all. They are deer resistant, but you'll still need to protect them from deer for the first few years that they're in the ground because the deer will rub their antlers on the trunk. Mm -hmm. Even if they're not eating it, rubbing their antlers on the trunk will kill the tree. So you still need to put a cage around the tree at least for the first few years that it's in the ground to protect them from that. Yeah. So yeah, check out, try a desert willow. Do it. Read up on the desert willow. And um, they need full sun, hot full sun, sun all the time. Yeah. And 
they're wonderful. You can't go wrong. Really beautiful trees. Yeah, there's different varieties that have different color flowers. Mm-hmm. So check that out. So make sure you get a color that you like. Yeah, and once you kind of start to recognize them, you'll start seeing them all around town. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're awesome. We got another text. This is just a compliment. Oh. Good morning. This is Navy Jim in Buda. I wanted to let you know how much I enjoy listening to you each Saturday morning. I thoroughly enjoy listening. Sorry, I thoroughly enjoy gardening, listening to your pleasant delivery of creating better horticulture for a novice is enlightening. Thank you for sharing your expertise. Have a great day. Oh, Navy Jim. Thanks, Navy Jim. Thank you. Appreciate you. We thrive on compliments. Yeah, that's right. We have a call. Uh Uh-oh, we better get that call. All right. This is Roger in Northeast Austin. Hi, Roger. Uh, Good morning, ladies. Uh, I like growing cactus and succulents, uh, mainly cactus, in my house. And I got a question about grow lights. Um, Do you know anything about them? What should I use? What colors should they be? Or spectrums or anything like that? Yeah. Um, I think keep it as simple as possible. Uh, with the grow lights, uh, you just need white light, basically, to imitate the sun. Um, so now I know there's all kinds of LEDs and stuff like that that are really nice and bright uh, that I think will work just fine. Um, keep it keep it simple. And, you know, we used to use just fluorescent light bulbs like shop lights, the long fluorescent light bulbs. But you have to, the problem with them is you have to keep them really, really close to the plants because it's not high intensity light. But my understanding is that some of the new LED lights are higher intensity. And I've, I've used some like string lights, uh, LED string lights with a lot of success. Leah, mm. do you, have you ever, do you know anything about grow lights? I have a couple grow lights in my house that they are kind of those sort of floodlights that screw into the little metal like, like a fixture. fixtures that you clamp onto something and plug in. I don't know what those are called, but um, I bought those on Amazon and I don't know, I don't remember what they were called, but um, they were just supposed to be like a full spectrum light. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know that much about, about indoor growing, but you yeah. might reach out. There's a cactus and succulent society in, in Austin uh, and they have, they, they probably have a website. Um, I can try to look that up. Um, but they have a they have a sale every year at Zilker Botanical Gardens, and they might be a good uh, yeah a good resource. Yeah, if there's anything specifically for cactus and succulents, but um, but I remember from like greenhouse classes I took and stuff like that that you just want a really broad spectrum white light with all the all the colors in it to imitate the sun, basically. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've seen online you got the pinks, you got the oranges, you got the blues. And I don't know if they're for different for, for different types of plants or what, but I, I'm yeah. just mainly into cactus and succulents. I got about 50, 60 plants in my house. I just they're alive, but I want to make them bigger. Yeah, grow them bigger. Yeah, yeah. We so, say go with white. Yeah, go with white as as the broad spectrum as you can. Okay, All well, right. I do appreciate, it, ladies. I'll do well. Okay, Thank Roger. You. Thank you so much. And I got the that's great the website of the Austin Cactus and Succulent Society is austincss.com. And that reminds me to re-announce uh-huh. the Austin Organic Gardeners 
sale. Oh, yeah, good. Happening. Good idea. Uh-huh. September 30th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. That's next Saturday. And they are selling all kinds of plants, and they will have vendors, musicians, local businesses, and nonprofits. Awesome. So check out the Austin Organic Gardeners. I'm going to figure out what their website is, too. Oh, good. I have a tree ID walk coming up on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday, the 27th of September. Tree ID for seed savers. So you can come and learn how to identify trees and then also collect seeds from them to contribute to uh, the seed to tree pipeline. It's at Blair Woods, uh, which is a Travis Audubon um, Audubon Society property, which I've never been to. I'm excited about that. And you can register at travisaudubon.org. So that'll be fun. Come and join me. It's Wednesday, 6 o'clock. Cool. Yeah, 6 to 7.30. It'll be really fun. And I got the... URL for the Austin Organic Gardeners. It's just okay. austinorganicgardeners.org. And this is the fall that's plant easy. fundraiser. I didn't mention the actual name. It's not just a plant sale. It's a fundraiser oh, for the that's gardeners. Oh, good. So Very check cool. that out. Yeah. I'm going to be teaching a design class for the Hayes County Master Gardeners coming up. Oh, good. So if any, any Hayes County Master Gardeners are listening, I'll be seeing you soon awesome. on the Zoom. Oh, good. So for landscape design? Yes. So what are you what kind of stuff will you talk about? I will talk about kind of design principles. I'll talk about, you know, planting the right place, right plant, right place. I'm gonna try to talk a little bit about visualizing your, you know, kind of trying to make a drawing mm-hmm. and um, kind of sketch things out and make sure what you have room for. So a little bit of the plotting and planning part. Okay. So yeah, that's pretty much what we're going to talk about. Cool. Landscape design. That's great. Well, y'all. We're out of time. We're out of time. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening, especially Navy Jim. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Thanks. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.